From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, UGH syndrome with glued haptics and an American study of intracameral antibiotics at Surgical Summit 2019. We've seen situations where the posterior iris is being irritated. We've also seen issues where uh, the haptic actually goes right through the ciliary body. First this. I know many of the audience of As Seen From Here also watch my live conference interviews on ewreplay.org. These brief video programs highlight the most important news from major ophthalmology meetings and number in the hundreds every year. But if you haven't watched ewreplay.org recently, you've got to check it out. iWorld Replay has really upped its game with super video production and fantastic content. ewreplay.org. We've just renovated and we'd love to have you over. I had the opportunity to interview a number of people advancing the forefront of ophthalmology during the 2019 Surgical Summit in Park City, Utah. Edited versions of these interviews are presented on the iWorld Replay website as brief videos. I'm going to present these interviews in their entirety over a number of podcasts. Today, we hear from Manjul Shah on UGH syndrome after Yamani surgery, and from Francis Ma on an American study of intracameral antibiotics. I'm here with Manjul Shah, a member of the ASCRS Yes Committee. Um, Manjul, uh, you know, when, when, when the whole sort of glued haptic IOL thing came out, I thought that it was just like as slick as sliced bread. Yeah. And, you know, I was not, you know, I, I don't look for cases for it. And um, one hasn't shown up, so I haven't had to think of sort of the other side of that, that coin. Mm. Of course, the technique has been further uh, refined by Dr. Yamane, and yep. uh, we're, we're talking now the, the sort of the, the two-needle um, technique in which the needles also used to make almost a little tunnel to sort of tuck Correct. the haptic yeah. in, and the haptic is widened as a little ball. Anyway, you know this stuff better than I do. You know, you, you, you see this, this brilliant stuff, at least I, I do. And the first thing that comes to mind is not what the complications are that can, can arise from it. Uh, but, uh, you know, that, that is something to consider and you mm-hmm. have considered it. And, right. and let me have you sort of spell out the uh, topic of your, your lovely talk. Sure. So, you know, with any IOL fixation technique, we have to worry about contact between the IOL or the implant and uveal intraocular tissue. And there is a real risk of developing UG uh, syndrome type uh, pathology. So there's a couple ways that it's really easy to get UG after any of these scleral fixation uh, techniques. UG, I mean, obviously being uvia, uvia scleroma, hyphema. Yeah. You got it. Uh, or, or quite frankly, any irritation of the uveal tissue may not actually manifest as uveitis, glaucoma, and hyphema. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's important to recognize that. Uh, but by placing an IOL appropriately posterior uh, from the iris surface, uh, or the posterior iris rather, uh, we're able to prevent inadvertent IOL contact. So one uh, real easy pearl to make sure we're well enough posterior is to measure back not just from the limbus but from the scleral spur, so that blue-white transition. Uh, and I typically measure about two millimeters posterior to that for any of these needle, uh, double needle uh, fixation techniques. 
The other way to really ensure that we're nice and posterior is make sure that our needle track is perpendicular to sclera so we don't actually emerge more anterior on the inside mm -hmm. of the eye than we think we are. So um, is, is the, the mechanism of irritation the IOL to the, to the iris surface or is it the, the haptic to the ciliary body? I mean, what's, what's rubbing on, on, on why? And, and we've actually seen both, actually. So we've seen situations where the posterior iris is being irritated. We've also seen issues where uh, the haptic actually goes right through the ciliary body. So keeping things posterior and angulated away from it is a really good way to avoid that. The other way to avoid that uh, is to place a peripheral iridotomy at the time of lens implantation. We do see a, a small rate of reverse pupillary block in these, in these uh, eyes, especially ones with no vitreous and a really, uh, uh, really prominent iridodenesis. So placing an iridotomy really keeps the iris away from the IOL. Okay, so I understand your, your uh, pearls, and of course they all make, make sense, um, but let's say that, I mean, what, what do you do once it's happened, once you have a patient with a gluten lens um, and uh, uveitis, the, the, these, I, I imagine these are not the easiest cases to explant the lens. Yeah, it's a, you're, you make a really good point. It's amazing. In the, in the few that I've had to reposition or explant this uh, Yamane double needle technique, it's really uh, embedded in sclera. Uh, so I've had a few patients where I've actually trimmed off the, the bulb of that uh, terminal haptic and then re-docked the, the whole haptic more posteriorly, again, more uh, away from the ciliary body and iris. Uh, oh, interesting. Yeah. So, so you can get away with a reposition sometimes, which is really elegant because you're only working with uh, really small one-millimeter paracentesis incisions. Again, uh, sometimes it's as simple as placing an iridotomy, uh, but, uh, and occasionally eyes just don't handle structures going uh, through the eye wall, and, and you may have to consider alternative eye wall strategies. Yeah, really, really interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, 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 the, the, the technique is, is so new. Um, but it's really cool. I mean, it's really, really neat, neat stuff. Yeah. Manjali, I want to thank you for, for, for bringing this, this neat topic to us, uh, making it all sound, uh, I've no doubt far simpler than it actually is. Uh, and as always, for being so very generous with your time with us today. Thank you very much. I'm here with Francis Ma, the chair of the ASCRS Cornea Clinical Committee. Hey, uh, Francis, you gave a, a, a number of, of wonderful talks. Unfortunately, we're going to have to pare things down and talk about one. Sure. Now, this is a, a subject near and dear to my heart as to all cataract surgeons, which is uh, the use of intracameral antibiotics for cataract surgery. And let me just set you up with my own personal angst, Absolutely. okay? Absolutely. Which, which, which is, is that there, there's been this, this, this wonderful um, evidence. Uh, David Chang has uh, been involved in, in, a, in a study with um, Aravind, more yep. than, a, than, a, than a million patients, really showing a very strong case uh, that um, intracamerals are of clinical benefit. Okay. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, sure. With there, I, I am I am concerned uh, that uh, if something unfortunate happens, independent of whether the intracameral had anything to to do with it, that I'm going to be on the hook for it because there's no medication in the U.S. that's FDA approved. Uh, for for this use, it's still not 
despite the evidence, it's still not standard of uh, uh, care. Right. You are going to one way or another put me out of my 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 misery. Yes. Uh, so yeah, so can I Hopefully. get you to flesh this out? Yeah, sure. So. Uh, yeah, intracameral antibiotics, uh, as you mentioned, um, you know, very controversial uh, area. Um, the data looks almost uh, in, incontrovertible, you know, the fact that uh, the intracameral antibiotic use uh, does seem to be better than topical antibiotic use in terms of prophylaxing and preventing uh, post-cataract surgery and ophthalmitis. However, uh, in the United States, unlike in Europe, uh, we don't have an FDA-approved commercial, uh, commercially available product for U.S. cataract surgeons to use, and so you know we're caught, kind of caught in a bind. Um, you know, we know that intracameral antibiotics are supposed to prevent endophthalmitis better than topical. However, we don't have anything. We hear almost monthly about uh, episodes of compounding pharmacies having issues with uh, either infections that occur or toxicity that occurs. Um, so, you know, we're, we're kind of caught in a bind. Well, Ascaris has, um, you know, kind of heard uh, the uh, discussion. Uh, the executive committee, the governing board uh, of Ascaris uh, is, uh, you know, initiating a research uh, committee. And the first project for the research committee of ASCRS uh, is actually to try to tackle this problem. So um, Doug Ree, who's the head of the research committee along with the um, uh, rest of the committee, have come up with a design uh, as well as uh, coming up with um, funding through the VA with a combination of uh, VA, NIH, uh, as well as um, the FDA uh, for essentially what would be a registration trial. So uh, the study is called TIME. Uh, which, stops, which stands for topical uh, versus intracameral moxifloxacin for prevention of endophthalmitis. Um, and uh, again, we do have $50 million uh, in funding to date. Um, and as far as the size of the study, we're thinking about 74,000 uh, patients which need to be enrolled uh, for the, uh, the study to help prove uh, that intracamerals uh, are effective uh, at preventing endophthalmitis. And again, this study uh, could be used as a registration trial for intracameral antibiotics. And so uh, in the very near future, um, Ascaris could have participated in getting an FDA-approved, commercially available intracameral product uh, in the hands of U.S. cataract surgeons uh, to really uh, kind of um, uh, solve the conundrum that we're under uh, as U.S. cataract surgeons in terms of doing the best thing for our patients uh, and preventing surgery uh, complications, uh, devastating ones like infection. Now, um, what, what is the planned duration for the for the study because I mean obviously you you're, you you can't have findings till the study's over sure so that's an excellent question so uh, we do plan uh, and the FDA does allow uh, for interim analysis of the data uh, again the uh, population study population is 74,000 uh, patients uh, right now we're actually undergoing the site selection so we've just uh, had a conference call this past week regarding uh, a survey uh, for site selection uh, and we do want want uh, a generalizable population. We do want uh, surgeons uh, of all capabilities. Obviously, one of the main things is surgeons that have actually participated in clinical trials in the past. Uh, that makes it obviously a lot easier uh, for um, the uh, uh, ASCRS as well as the study uh, to kind of get things rolling. Um, we hope uh, we can do this within, you know, a couple of years, uh, but obviously it depends on how um, uh, robust the data looks in terms of the uh, ability for intracameral to prevent endophthalmitis 
and or uh, how slow the enrollment uh, is for the study. Now, let, let me just parse things out a little bit here. Uh, we've, we've conflated uh, two things. Number one of them is, um, is the idea of an FDA-approved um, medication for, uh, excuse me, let me be very careful with my words. An FDA-approved medication that we are using for intracamerals and a compounded medication that we're using for intracamerals because, of course, number one is ophthalmologists. We're very used to using medications uh, that are FDA-approved in an off-label way. Sure. Uh, and number two, of course, there is an FDA-approved medication that it is possible to use as an intracameral without compounding. Uh, which is to say uh, the preservative-free moxifloxacin. So w- w- is, is a study like this needed? Yeah, that's a, that's a great uh, question. So as far as the moxifloxacin that's uh, non-preserved, you know, the Vigamox, mm-hmm. it, it is FDA-approved for topical use. It actually is not FDA-approved for intracameral use. And if you actually look at the box or the bottle, it actually says not for use intracamerally. So for people that are using it, uh, and I did use it for a while, um, you know, it is, uh, again, legally uh, not supposed to be used. Um, and so, again, you'd be on the hook, as you uh, mentioned earlier, if you had a problem. Uh, the compounding issue, uh, is an issue, but as you mentioned, you know we're very used to using uh, compounded medications. Avastin, Avastin, for example, is used, uh, you know, obviously uh, many times over per day uh, in a retinal surgeon's uh, office uh, for injections. Those are all compounded; those are not FDA approved for intraocular use, and yet they're used uh, over and over again. Uh, and we hardly ever hear of any problems uh, with uh, Avastin uh, as far as compounding. As far as whether this is needed or not, you're right. There's two aims for uh, this study. One is for U.S. surgeons uh, who are contemplating or who are using intracameral to be reassured that um, intracameral antibiotics, in this case moxifloxacin, uh, is uh, the preferred uh, way to prevent endophthalmitis. And then number two is for a company, um, if they wanted to use this as a registration trial to have a commercially available drug available, uh, then this could be used as a registration trial. So there are two purposes. One is strictly for the members to feel comfortable and to have proof about the method uh, that is uh, best to prevent um, post-cataract surgery infections. Well, for, for us all and also for completely personal reasons, I wish you the uh, best of uh, luck and I, I hope that the, that the, that the interim uh, results justify uh, our using uh, this stuff very, very soon. Francis, I want to thank you you know, for this, this, this wonderful work that, that you're doing, that Doug Rees doing, that the, that the rest of the uh, group's doing, um, and uh, as always, for the generosity of the time that you've shown us today. Great. Thank you very much. Manjul Manoj Shah is assistant professor at the Kellogg Eye Institute at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Francis Ma comes to us from La Jolla, California. Ask questions of Dr. Shah, Dr. Ma, or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at josh at iWorld.org. As seen from here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.